Welcome to Pete's Property Podcast, brought to you by Buyers Buyers and hosted by Pete Wargent, buyers agent, finance and real estate expert, and all-round property guru, plus published author. Join Pete for 30 minutes as he chats all things property with a new guest each week. Learn practical tips from the movers and shakers in the property industry and well-known personalities sharing their property journeys. G'day, welcome to this week's episode of the Pete Borgent Property Pod. I've got a very special guest this week, Melinda Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers in Brisbane. Melinda, welcome. Great to have you on. Thanks so much, Pete. Good to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting about all things Brisbane. Yes, and Brisbane really has been in the news a lot this week as we'll come on to at the time of recording a bit of flooding in some of those riverside areas. But let's talk first and foremost about a bit about yourself and your background. I think you're a Brisbane local originally, quite unusual these days. Everybody in Queensland seems to have come in from <laughs> elsewhere. But tell us a bit about your background and how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Well, you are right. I am a Brisbane local. So born and bred, grew up in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. So always have been involved in property because my dad was a property investor and he formed a syndicate with a number of his work colleagues um, during the time that, you know, I was in my early teen years and certainly early adult years. Uh, we used to go and help maintain those properties because back in the day you'd go and knock on the door and collect the rent and it was all paid in cash and you know those sorts of things so always had property as um, an interest area and so it was a natural progression for us to you know move into the area eventually as a career path as well. Yeah and um, I guess of all the uh, sort of parts of the world to be involved um, Brisbane has been a real hot spot in recent years in terms of not just uh, people moving to the area, but it seems to be particularly popular with investors from Sydney and Melbourne, I guess, where prices are a bit higher or have been higher. I guess you've um, chosen your location pretty well. Uh, So tell us a bit about what you do at Streamline and um, also tell us about your podcast as well, because I know you have a, a regular slot where you talk about Brisbane property. Yeah, so look, we specialise within our company, Streamline Property Buyers, in helping property investors and home buyers buy um, quality investment properties throughout Brisbane. We don't buy in all of Greater Brisbane. Geographically, Brisbane is the most widespread area in terms of area. It's the largest city on the east coast of Australia, but it's the lowest density. So there's a lot of land left for redevelopment in Brisbane. So we don't buy in Redlands, we don't buy in Ipswich, we don't buy in Logan. We predominantly our focus is on the Brisbane City Council region and we do buy in select locations in the in the southernmost parts of the Moreton Bay region. We also do run our own podcast, the Brisbane Property Podcast. So my husband Scott and I founded Streamline together um, and we provide regular weekly updates on what's happening on the ground in Brisbane, um, what's the latest impacts. So talking about the floods, for example, you know, what impact that might have. Uh, but we also talk specifically about why buying in Brisbane is different, what property buyers need to be aware of. So if anyone's interested specifically in Brisbane, um, it's all relevant to Brisbane only, not a national approach. Yes, that's an interesting point because, as you know, I, uh, like many people, uh, took the relocation from uh, the, the uh, southern states. I actually moved up from Sydney to Brisbane seven or eight years ago. Um, I mean, Sunshine Coast these days. But I guess a few things that um, struck me 
firstly, as you said, Greater Brisbane has got a huge population. I, I don't know the official number, but I guess it's two and a half million. But the area that's covered by Greater Brisbane is not really, there's a lot of areas there that you wouldn't really classify as Brisbane if you're looking at it on a map. It goes, as you said, all the way out, Ipswich and Logan and Morton Bay to the north. And I suppose the bit, the Brisbane City Council bit that you actually think of as Brisbane is probably that sort of inner 10 or 15K, you would know better than me. Uh, but also the other thing that struck me is that it, it is quite different, isn't it? The, I mean, the, the type of housing stock is different. The zoning rules are different. And then obviously there's flood areas and I guess different things you might have to look out for. And also the process of actually buying a property is somewhat different from in Sydney. So what do you think are the, the main things that make Brisbane stand out as a different place for investors? Yeah, they're all relevant points that you've raised about Brisbane and, you know, all of those contribute to why Brisbane is different. And if we look, for example, at our transportation system, you know, we had the most advanced transportation system in terms of our train line capacity in the early 1900s. So the way Brisbane was built out was that we were geographically quite a widespread city. Um, And we can see the style of homes that were built um, along those transport corridors. We have our homes that are determined by the era in which they were built. So prior to 1946, a lot of the homes are classified as pre-war homes um, and a lot of those homes are also protected from demolition. So they're typically located in the inner city locations um, along those transport corridors, but also in the areas that, you know, occupy probably five to six kilometres from the CBD. And then after the war in 1946, Second World War, we had... A different style of home that was typically built um, and um, they were tin and timber shacks or sometimes chamferboard shacks if you like so we call those post-war homes so it was an era when the world was you know suffering economically people didn't have a lot of money so the style of homes was very basic and then we've got homes that were built through from the 70s onward where we started to see some brick and tile homes and then of course now we have a, a mixture of all different types of properties depending on where they're located so it's really, really interesting when Uh, buyers from the likes of Sydney and Melbourne come to Brisbane or inquire about buying in Brisbane when they specifically request a brick and tile home, but they want to be five kilometres from the CBD because that's a very scarce commodity in Brisbane because um, most of the character Queenslander homes occupy those inner city locations and they're typically tin and timber homes. So, um, it's getting an understanding of not just the layout of Brisbane, but also what was developed at what time and therefore how the style of homes um, evolved over time. And that's obviously what makes Brisbane very different. The other thing I'll say, and, you know, just off the back of the, the recent weather events that have caused some significant flooding again in Brisbane, is that in the past, certainly, you know, until recent times, economic status in Brisbane was not determined by distance from the CBD, but elevation in certain locations. And they had uh, people of wealth um, living in the highest part of suburbs. And those who were, you know, the workers, if you like, lived in the lower parts of the suburbs. So, you know, when we look at the history of Brisbane, uh, it's quite different in terms of uh, the way the city's been laid out in terms of real estate and property. Yeah, so really interesting points, actually, because even in some of those suburbs, I know that people locally talk about the high side and the low side, and it's, uh, it's uh, you know, almost like um, suburbs delineated by the main thoroughfare <laughs> running through it. And um, you can actually see the difference in prices. I, I sometimes do wonder when you see some of the analysis that gets reported and people talk about suburb 
price growth. But then, as you pointed out, within the same suburb, you might have the high up property with city views or river views, and then you might have low lying properties, and then you got mixed in with housing commission and busy roads. And <laughs> I think sometimes yeah. the the postcode level analysis is only useful up to a certain point um, mm. because it's well, it's the local nuance and expertise that you guys bring that makes all the difference. It, it, it may not be possible to answer this question, but if if you had a, a typical brief for an investor, let's say you've got somebody from Sydney that wants to make an investment in Brisbane, what's a normal type of purchase for you? Do you have uh, favourite suburbs and property types that you look at? Look, um, most of the clients would come to us looking for a high growth strategy rather than a high yield strategy. We really don't help uh, buyers with a budget under about $700,000 now. Um, I think a lot of people look at the median value for Brisbane dwellings, which is what's most published when uh, people talk about Brisbane prices. And um, I've got the CoreLogic data in front of me just um, for the most recent data. The median dwelling for Brisbane is $722,433. Now, that captures housing stock as well as unit stock. And people say, well, I'd like to spend $720,000 but buy 10 kilometres from the CBD and I want a house on a 600-square-metre block. Well, that's just not possible anymore for something that you wouldn't knock over. And even, you know, for land value alone, that's going to be almost impossible. So perhaps some flood-impacted properties would fit that category. But it really is um, a case of understanding what your money will buy in Brisbane. For a typical investor... The sweet spot at the moment, if you like, for the majority of um, inquiries, probably around that $950,000 to $1.2 million. It seems to be a price point that targets the middle segment of the market. So a lot of quality middle ring locations. I think for anyone wanting to get into some of the blue chip locations now, you really need upward for of probably about $1.5 million. And if we were having this conversation just 12 months ago, um, all of those numbers would be significantly lower because Brisbane's experienced such strong growth, especially in the housing sector over the last 12 months that um, it's probably hard for a lot of people to keep up with with the growth that we have been experiencing in some certain pockets. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, even just hearing you throw those numbers out there is uh, giving me some food for thought because um, I bought a fair number of properties in Brisbane over the years and um, not so long ago that a budget of maybe five or 600,000 could actually see you buy a decent-sized block and not a million miles from the city, but obviously times have changed. I guess following on from that, so what what kind of price growth have you seen in Brisbane over, say, the past year and, say, the past three years? Because I think sometimes, as you said, the numbers get distorted because mm. you've got all the different property types and, you know, sometimes, you know, renovations could have an impact. But if you were looking at a like-for-like a like property over the past, say, one and three years, what type of price growth have you seen in Brisbane? Yeah, the best way to answer that is to probably um, look at properties that have sold um, twice within that period and what they've sold for initially versus what they're achieving with the second subsequent sale. Um, properties that are selling within 12 to 18 months now from, from previous sale, we're seeing upward of 30% price change. Now, that's really 
hard for some people to comprehend, especially when you can see a property might have sold in 2020 or even 2021 and you're having to pay 30% more or thereabouts for that property. But that's in line with the house price growth in Brisbane over the last 12 months. So if we look at the data again, um, we've experienced annual return of 32.8% in the housing market in Brisbane over the last 12 months alone. Um, the unit part of the market, um, it hasn't been as strong. Uh, the buyer demand just seems to be picking up, I think, in that part of the market recently. And I think that's off the back of affordability. You know, people are having to move so much further out to buy something that's a, a single house on its own lot. And so they're starting to make that compromise of property type, looking at a unit or even a townhouse, um, because that will enable them to stay in the location that they're wanting to live. So I truly believe there's going to be a shift. Um, we're starting to see it on the ground. Um, and I think that the demand for units is going to be slightly higher than what we've seen in past years. Remember, we came off the back of significant oversupply in Brisbane in the unit market in 2016. And that was a result of a change in the city plan that occurred back in uh, 2014. So a lot of developers um, moved in, created a lot of high density units. Typically, that targeted investors, not owner-occupiers, but it resulted in a significant oversupply and, and caused some price falls in that market simply because there weren't enough buyers to absorb that stock. That seems to have subsided now. Um, we had some vacancy risk in the unit market, especially off the back of COVID. Um, again, that's recovering rapidly, um, especially in the inner city. So it is looking brighter for that segment of the market. But if we look 12 months ago, so we've had about 14% um, price growth in the unit market looking at the data um, across the 12-month period, so less than half of the growth that we experienced in the housing sector in the same period of time. Yes, I mean, I, I remember the units oversupply uh, firsthand when I was living in New Farm, but you'd wander over to some of those nearby suburbs and there was units going up like they were going out of fashion. I, I think from... What I could see on the ground and even just reading the sales data, you could actually see a lot of that stuff was bought by overseas investors, particularly from mainland China at the time. There's a lot of people trying to get their money out of China. And I think developers almost got to the point where they, they could build almost anything and sell it offshore. Um, that does mm -hmm. seem to have really calmed down a lot now. And it, it seems that developers largely are you know, building stuff a bit more that people actually want. Now, so maybe the outlook for units a bit better than it was five or six years ago. Um, I think, yeah, as you said, I mean, I suppose hindsight is twenty twenty, but uh, when the initial lockdowns happened in Australia or the initial restrictions, I think a lot of people sold in a panic. But um, price growth has come absolutely roaring back, as you said, thirty percent over the year for Brisbane. Um, what about? I mean, the the obvious follow on question from that is if prices have done. 30% over a year. Is it still a good time to buy in Brisbane or do you think the best of the cycle has passed? This is a question I get asked almost daily, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's a really relevant question because people do think, am I buying at the top of the market? What we see on the ground is generally ahead of the data. So, you know, our team's out every Saturday um, seeing how many people are turning up at open homes. And um, when we see property price growth, it's simply due to an imbalance between supply and demand. So we have to look at what supply is available. Um, and in Brisbane at the moment, according to the 
latest CoreLogic data, we're still about 30% down on total listings compared to 12 months ago. And even 12 months ago, our listing volumes were down compared to the long-term five-year trend. So we are in a really low supply environment, which is quite different to the other capital city markets like Sydney and Melbourne right now, where listing volumes have really caught up with demand. So that's the supply side. We're really tight on supply. On the demand side, of course, you know, Brisbane has been um, a bit of a flavour of the the year, if you like, because of COVID. A lot of people have looked for lifestyle change and um, Brisbane and all of southeast Queensland has benefited from that with increasing interstate migration. We're also a much more affordable city, so affordability has driven demand um, and that has maintained a consistent level of demand even um, up until right now. So a lot of people who are priced out of the more expensive markets of Sydney and Melbourne, for example, they may not be able to buy where they live, so they rent, but they invest that money in a more affordable location. And we're certainly seeing that through our own inquiry where people are able to buy an investment property at a price point that they can afford, but then rent where they need to to work and, and where they actually live. So the demand side drivers that apply to all markets, such as the low interest rate environment, of course, they've had an impact as well, um, but that's been universal across all, all markets throughout Australia. But I definitely think um, the local drivers of, you know, interstate migration increasing and also affordability have been the additional things that Brisbane um, has had going for it that, that's put further pressure on the demand side moving forward um, <laughs> off the back of the floods and maybe we'll talk about this as well but um, we see further supply issues coming certainly a dampening in demand from some buyers but um, that may be concentrated more to flood impacted properties so we could see a heightening in demand of those properties that that have had no flood impact that are elevated and are in desirable locations because ultimately when there's an imbalance where there's low supply high demand we will continue to get price growth and based on what we're seeing on the ground, of course, every weekend we're monitoring any change, but based on what we've been seeing recently, there's still a lot more buyers than there are sellers. And so while we'll see that imbalance, we'll continue to see price growth. It can't continue at the magnitude that it has been continuing month on month. It's got to slow down, but um, we'll definitely still see price growth ticking over in the months ahead based on what we're seeing right now. Yes, yeah, that's a, that's a very good answer. Um I think for most people who take a long-term view in property and they buy well, they tend to get a good outcome. I think often where I've seen people uh, come unstuck is often buying off the plan. Um, mm. Sometimes that can be risky. Or if, if people either buy the wrong property or, or get involved in a crazy bidding war, sometimes that, that can lead to uh, buyer's remorse. But I guess that's where experts such as yourselves come in to stop people buying emotionally or buying the wrong property. But um, let's talk about the floods. Um, mm. Obviously, it's been all over the news this week. Um, thankfully, at Noosa, we weren't too badly impacted. There was a bit of overland flow and the river burst its banks a little bit. But Brisbane, certainly in some of those riverside or low-lying areas, um, has had a bad uh, week. Um, so tell us what's happening on the ground in Brisbane. It's been quite sad to see our city impacted again after the 2011 floods, which, you know, for many of us who are locals, it doesn't seem that long ago and the impact is still quite raw for many of us. So I think that when we saw this rain event unfolding, um, it's been described as a rain bomb 
there's no other way to really describe it. The The intensity of the rainfall was almost horrific. It, it felt like the roof was going to cave in at times. Most locations throughout Brisbane received between 80 and 100% of their annual rainfall in the space of three to four days. Now, you know, that's really hard to explain what that feels like unless you're actually in it. It was a different type of flooding event to what we experienced in 2011. Um, the day Brisbane flooded in 2011 um, was blue skies and sunny. The rain event had passed. It's just that the dam releases from Wyvernhoe Dam um, had caused a lot of the flood impact to come through in the river side locations. This time, we not only had dam releases coming through from the Brisbane River, but we also had the rain pouring down heavily from above at the same time. So it wasn't just a, a river flooding event. It was also a creek and waterway flooding event and it was an overland flow flooding event. So all types of flooding occurred at the same time. Properties that were impacted in 2011 from river flooding did not um, experience a significant flood impact. And this is generally speaking because the flood level was about one metre lower in this current event compared to uh, 2011. However, when we look at the creek and waterway flooding, properties that were not impacted at all in 2011 were impacted in this flood event. Um, I think that there's so many properties in Brisbane that had some sort of leak or some sort of, um, you know, blocked gutters or eaves or overflowing stormwater. There was just so much water that had nowhere to go. So, you know, I think a lot of people were impacted in some small way and still, there's tens of thousands of properties without power, um, you know, up to a week after the event. So, you know, people are still being impacted at the time of recording as well. Yeah, so obviously the initial focus is going to be on the, the cleanup and then beyond that, repairs and then insurance claims and all of those things that people will have to go through. Um, somebody asked me on a news bulletin um, a couple of days ago about, you know, will the market rebound in those suburbs. I said, well, look, um, as you said, in 2011, we had some uh, data to look at and we sort of found that, and with a caveat that suburb level figures are sometimes a bit uh, sketchy, that actually uh, five years on, the, the market had fully recovered. And in fact, in 19 of the 20 most impacted suburbs, prices were actually ahead of the Brisbane benchmark. Um, mm. But I guess that there's a couple of things that may make it different this time around, but I'd defer to your expertise. Um, I guess, firstly, uh, in 2011, the market really was pretty flat going into mm-hmm. that period. Um, so it wasn't the same dynamic that we have now, which is a, a firing Brisbane market. But I suppose one of the things in 2011, there, there's a lot of talk about this being a once in 50 year event, <laughs> but now we've had, I guess, two floods in a dozen years. Does that have an impact, do you think, on areas that have been impacted by flooding? Do you think that will sort of turn buyers away and maybe send them off to other suburbs or higher areas? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, no one can answer that with absolute certainty so soon, but I'll I'll provide my commentary on what I think might happen. So we can learn from the experience of the past and, and look at what happened after the 2011 floods. Um, and I actually came across a, a great study that um, was a joint effort by the Queensland University of Technology and um, the University of Sydney, uh, the University of Technology in Sydney. And it looked at what impact the 2011 floods had on Brisbane property values. And they 
categorize that impact by the segment of the market and and what in you know lower value properties medium value properties and high value properties now that sort of aligned with where those properties were located what was interesting is that the impact occurred across a few different areas of the market first the supply the sorry listing volumes so immediately after the flood listing volumes in flood impacted locations significantly decreased so you know there weren't properties that were listed for sale in the six months after, the listing volumes in the lower value uh, segment of the market increased rapidly. Um, And the authors concluded that um, a lot of those properties were sold because they weren't insured um, and people couldn't afford to actually, you know, complete the repairs on those properties. So, that's an interesting trend. There was little impact on the middle ring suburbs in terms of listing volumes um, and recovery there. The high segment of the market, um, listing volumes definitely declined, but there was no really strong um, evidence of a higher number of listings coming through later on, indicative that um, people who did have those properties didn't need to sell up uh, because they potentially had insurance or the capacity to repair those properties. The second part of the market that's impacted is in um, listings for rent. So, obviously, right now in Brisbane, we're in a crisis in terms of vacancy. We're at the lowest vacancy rate that we've experienced um, for a very long time. So, there's not a lot available to rent now, um, even heading into this event. What happens in these types of events is that the number of properties that are available for rent decreases um, significantly because flood-impacted families relocate to nearby rental properties. So that in itself is going to present an issue when we're already in an environment where um, rental um, opportunities are so low. So I think that that's going to be something that's going to put further upward pressure on rents in the short term, especially. And then median values. So the interesting thing around median values is that it's always at a suburb level. And as you say, there's so much compositional bias, if you like, um, in terms of what's made up in that. But median values in flood-impacted properties that were tracked in this particular study did fall. We expect the same potentially to happen um, this time around. You know, the immediate fear associated with buying something that's been recently impacted, um, there's definitely a stigma associated with that. However, as you've pointed out, those properties recovered very quickly after 2011. Whether they recover as quickly this time, nobody really knows. Um, And I think that's going to come down to everybody's personal risk appetite because at the end of the day, there's a property for everybody and um, some people may be willing to take on that risk. It's just important that buyers do their due diligence and understand what that risk might look like uh, by learning from the experiences of the last two flood events that we've now been through. You've actually uh, preempted my next uh, question because I was just jotting down some notes there and I I just written down rental supply crunch question mark. Um, I, I guess uh, not only are we we're going to see a depletion of the rental stock, but I guess with fifteen thousand odd homes impacted, there'll be extra demand. And then I think with the borders reopening in the last fortnight to uh, visa holders who've been vaccinated, well, we've got a two year backlog of people to come into Australia. Um, and as you said, we've already got pretty tight vacancy rates, especially for houses in Brisbane, maybe not so much for units in the CBD or the city, but um, there could be some very significant impacts for the rental market. So, well, let's hope for some better weather over the next week and uh, things normalising um, as soon as practicable. Let's talk about the the next decade. I, 
I was very excited when the Commonwealth Games came to the Gold Coast uh, a few years back. That was uh, a relatively small event. But of course, Brisbane will be hosting the Olympics 10 years from now, 2032, I think it is. So are there benefits that would be associated with the Olympics? Um, I remember when the London Olympics came around, certainly the, the areas that saw infrastructure investment, those areas did particularly well over five and 10 years. Um, so I know the um, the GABA is due to be demolished as part of the Sustainable Olympics, uh, but uh, <laughs> are, there, are there certain areas that you would look at in association with that or do you, do you not think that's a big factor? Look, I think that the excitement of the Olympics has certainly been a positive thing for Brisbane. Um, I know some people are making commentary on buying, you know, in Wollongabba or here, certain locations because of the Olympic event. Um, I take a different approach. I take more of a long-term approach. The Olympics is a a short event that will be held over, you know, a a small or a short space of time. The infrastructure, as you've pointed out, that is going to be um, in place or, or develops between now and when we host the Olympics, that's where we're going to see some um, significant improvements for people in the city. So anything that improves transportation of people that gets them from where they live to where they work to the lifestyle precincts, that's going to, you know, potentially um, heighten demand for properties located in areas that will benefit from that infrastructure. Um, We've got a lot of economic development, I think, that will also come off the back of the lead up to the Olympics in terms of the construction industry. You know, even in the Olympic Games, there'll be a boost to tourism. So, you know, different parts of the economy will benefit in different ways, in my opinion. Um, I certainly wouldn't be targeting specific suburbs because of their location in proximity to certain um, stadiums or, or things like that. I always still apply investment fundamentals. If we look at what supply is there in a particular location, um, what's the potential for future supply, and what is the demand both now and what is that likely demand going to be in the future. And if it ticks all of the boxes in, in terms of those fundamentals, then, of course, it's a great location to invest. But if it doesn't and we're just investing because of the hype of one, a, you know a single event that's going to happen, then it's not a suburb that um, we would be targeting. So we're probably more um, take a low-risk approach, um, you know, advise our investors to to focus on the fundamentals and um, for locations that will benefit from that infrastructure that's coming, definitely, um, you know, I think that's how the Olympics will have a significant impact on property values in certain locations. Yeah, it's a very uh, level-headed approach, especially for somebody taking an investment perspective obviously home buyers have their own reasons for buying in certain school zones or suburbs but uh, particularly for an investor i guess it it is all about that supply and demand and trying to find the imbalance um i had one other question that you kind of touched on before in terms of there's been a, a bit of a shift towards southeast queensland i think a, a part of it as you said has been driven by affordability uh but also, I think the trend towards working from home or working remotely, I think that's seen a lot of people think, well, you know, why should I live in Sydney or Melbourne when I could be based somewhere in Queensland where it's maybe a bit warmer, a bit more affordable? Do you think that sort of trend is here to stay or do you think there might be some reversal? I've certainly seen an impact um, on the Sunshine Coast, just really, really busy. Um, what do, you, do you have a, a feeling for what might happen and specifically what do you think the impact might be on Brisbane? 
Yeah, I think change, uh, COVID changed the way a lot of people thought about their future. I think that that was a significant enough event to make people stop and think about life a little bit more. And um, it made us all slow down and, and consider what do we want the future to look like. And I think off the back of those sorts of conversations that people started to have with each other, we did see that that population movement, I guess, to more lifestyle locations. Um, I think that the Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast have received a greater portion of those that have been relocating to southeast Queensland. Um, in terms of, you know, Brisbane itself, yes, Brisbane provides a more affordable option for people that might still want that city lifestyle, but might commute to Sydney or Melbourne for two or three days. But as you say, live in, you know, a larger home closer to the CBD, closer to the lifestyle amenities that they're looking for. Um, Brisbane's a rapidly growing city as well. We always used to be considered a little country town, but I think with the the pipeline of development that's now in place, we are growing up and we've got an arts precinct and a cultural precinct and, you know, it's there's some fun things to do in Brisbane now um, and it never used to be like that. So I think people are attracted to um, the emergence of Brisbane as a city and I think that what Brisbane will become excites a lot of people as well. Um, I, I've obviously seen Brisbane change significantly in, in the um, period that um, I've lived um and I won't even reveal my age, but let's just say there's a number of decades in there. And and obviously it's exciting to see how the city, you know, is growing up and the, the choices that people now have in Brisbane. Ultimately, we need some sort of fast train uh, transportation between the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane and the Gold Coast to really make that a long-term trend. I, whilst I think there's some short-term trends associated with working from home, based on my own opinion, I still think people will be drawn back into the cities once this pandemic becomes something of the past um, because potentially that's where most of the jobs are located. And even if people are working remotely, they will still need to get into some sort of team environment or office environment occasionally. So I think that if Brisbane can um, improve the, the transportation between some of those lifestyle locations and the capital, we'll see a more of a, of a long-term trend. But right now, I still think people prefer to um, be closer to the locations that they are, you know, working potentially if they are having to commute and then they'll go to those lifestyle locations on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, this is the really interesting stuff in real estate, isn't it? Seeing uh, those demographic shifts and mm. changes in household formation and the, the the way the suburbs gentrify and develop. And I guess, as you said, you've been around in Brisbane long enough to see plenty of blow-ins like myself come and go. Uh, <laughs> so it's been fabulous. We could talk all day about uh, property, no doubt, uh, Melinda, but uh, hopefully I'll uh, catch up with you someday soon for a vegan breakfast at Dickie's in New Farm. But, uh, <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, so probably about three coffees in my case. Um, so <laughs> tell us a bit about if people want to track down your podcast or if they want to find out more about what you do at Streamline Property Buyers, uh, where should they go for more? Well, anybody wanting to um, subscribe to our podcast, Brisbane Property Podcast, it's available on all of the, the major podcast portals, if you like. So Spotify, anyone that um, is interested in understanding um, how we as a buyer's agent can help them with a purchase in Brisbane can reach out to us through our website, streamlineproperty.com.au. There's lots of information on there. I also write a regular blog, 
which um, is specific to Brisbane. So even if you're not wanting to use our services, there's lots of free information available, but um, very easy to get in touch from our website. Just inquire now and we'll be able to get in contact with you. Yes, and you're a prolific uh, content creator, so there's plenty of information there, especially for people who are interested in looking at Brisbane as a place to move or invest. Uh, Linda, thanks uh, so much and um, look forward to speaking again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pete. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Pete's Property Podcast, powered by Buyers Buyers. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next time as Pete chats all things property with a new guest. And just a reminder that the information provided in this podcast is general advice only and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation or needs. You should always consult a licensed professional to discuss your individual personal circumstances.